It's showtime, folks. Son now. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. Welcome to the Know-It-All Podcast. We're here with our man Achilles Rain to do a special NBA 7-on-7. We don't have seven categories. We're going to do awards and all-stars since we're heading into the all-star break. And after that, we're going to bring in Rita Cinema to do Nomadland, uh, the Oscar favorite. So uh, big show today, all-stars, awards, and Nomadland, the favorite for the Academy Award. So let's get into the all-stars with our man Achilles Rain. Achilles, welcome. You ready to name some all-stars? Yeah, buddy. Sorry about the, uh, the, the long wait here. But uh, yes, you can see I've kind of been packing things up uh, as me and the missus just bought a new house. And uh, it's a little hectic right now, but I'm ready to get into some all-star talk. Yeah, the mansion and the yacht are waiting out on the <laughs> Tennessee River. So uh, we'll be excited to start shooting from the yacht. Uh, Casa de Achilles. <laughs> yeah, if only, right? <laughs> All right, so let's get into our all-stars. Uh, we'll start with the least, and that is the East. Uh, I got my five starters. What is your first starter in the East? Well, let's see. For the East, uh, I'm going to start off with Washington's Bradley Beal. Uh, he's been averaging just about 32.8 uh, points per game, just under five assists per game, and uh, just a little bit over five rebounds per game, if I remember correctly. Um so, uh, you know, he's been playing really good. Uh, I felt like he was one of the guys that deserved a nod. Uh, I believe this is his third all-star appearance. So, uh, you know, it, I think he's going to be an interesting addition. I, I think that he's deserving, in my opinion, uh, to be one of the starters. All right. So we're already starting out with good stats, bad team, Achilles <laughs> Reign. I, I'm sure we will hear of uh, Zach Levine on here and numerous others. <laughs> Oh, gosh. You can read me like a book. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with my first starter, and that is James Harden starting at the point guard position. I'm really impressed with the way James Harden has essentially come back to his Oklahoma City style of play where he's moving the ball, passing the ball. We don't have him dribbling at the top of the key, running a pick and roll, and shooting a three every time down the floor. Uh, that's Kyrie Irving's job now. Um, so James Harden made the uh, first guard on my list. Yeah, you're going to be a little bit uh, weirded out by the way my starting lineup looks. 
Uh, on one side, it's uh, a fairly big starting lineup, and on the other side, not so much. But uh, for my uh, second guard position, I'm actually going with James Harden as well. Uh, and I believe you pretty much said all the things about him. You know, he's a nine-time All-Star. He's a, a one-time MVP, three-time scoring champ, if I remember correctly. So uh, definitely deserving. And he seems to be getting back into shape. So uh, definitely a good All-Star to have on there. Well, that's because all the nightclubs are closed in Brooklyn right now. <laughs> Is that why? <laughs> he's going to want to trade back to Texas now that it's opened back up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think guys are starting to put in their trade requests now. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. All right, my second guard, and uh, I went from the non-side of good stats, bad team guy. I went with Ben Simmons. Uh, the stats aren't totally there, but uh, his flexibility on defense, uh, you'll see when we get to the award categories. I just love Ben Simmons. His uh, ability on the break and uh, his passing ability is just second to none, and his ability to guard numerous positions. I just think Ben Simmons is one of the best guards in the league, and uh, the way the Philadelphia 76ers – have essentially been the best team in the East so far. I thought I'd award him as the second guard in there. So uh, Ben Simmons. Yeah, it's actually a really good one. Uh, this is where my lineup starts to get a little bit wonky. Oh, God. Uh, but I do promise you that I've got enough reserves to balance the team out uh, based on whatever situation I may you need to put, put them in. didn't put Jeremy Grant in there, did you? Uh, it's probably a little bit worse than that. Uh, <laughs> at the number three spot, I've got you, the Greek freak. Uh, I know that he's not, you know, your prototypical number three guy, but this is just the way that I was building these guys. I was building them based off how much I like them to be all-stars. And like I said, the lineup looks a little bit wonky. Uh, it's, it's really big, uh, and you could tell by – having the Greek freak at the three spots. So. Yeah, well, uh, I think our probably next three are probably be hovering around the same. Uh, I have Giannis as well in there. What do you got as your fourth starter here? Yeah, um, uh, this is where it got a little bit confusing because I knew that I was going to go big for my last three spots, but I wasn't sure which position I kind of want to move around. But for the number four spot at the power forward, I'm going with Joel Embiid. Uh, and you talked a little bit about the Philadelphia team uh, in general it's a really good team, probably, you know, one of the better teams in the league right now. So I felt like we had to definitely look into that team for some guys who were deserving of these uh, starting roles in the all-star game. And now Joel Embiid didn't play really well in my opinion. So I felt like he was definitely deserving. Yeah. Uh, I put Kevin Durant in here. Uh, he just made my uh, list. Uh, you'll notice in the West, I, I exclude somebody who got hurt. Uh, but uh, I think Kevin Durant has played enough games uh, that he's deserving to be a starter in the all-star game. And really, he's probably been the second or third best player in the league so far this year. So uh, Kevin Durant is my number four. Now, I will say this. Kevin Durant is definitely in my honorable mention section. Uh, I didn't believe that he was going to be able to play uh, by the time the All-Star game came around. But he's not. Making, when I, yeah, so I, I didn't put him on there. Obviously, he's an All-Star, you know, so I don't think me not putting him on the list is, is really about him not playing at an All-Star caliber level. It's more about him just not being able to play. So I'm giving other guys props. Yeah, I, I left a certain Laker off the uh, Western side because of that. Yeah, as much as I – We'll get into it when we get into the West. But uh, actually, for my uh, last spot uh, in the starting rotation, I'm going with another big guy. I'm going with uh, Vucevic, who has been playing lights out pretty much all season long. 
Uh, in my opinion, he's probably one of the better bigs in the entire league. Uh, I really like his game, and he's been consistent, you know, year in, year out. He's a second-time All-Star, so uh, this would be, you know, a really good experience to, to have him in my starting lineup. Let's see if uh, these big guys can keep up with your uh, fast-paced ones. Yeah, uh, I got Joel Embiid as my uh, number five. So uh, our uh, starters are pretty similar there. Uh, you like Bradley Bill and his worthless scoring, though granted – the Wizards have been much better of late, and uh, I prefer Ben Simmons and his uh, do-everything style. But uh, let's get into the reserves where maybe we have a little bit of differences. Who's your first reserve coming off the bench? My first reserve is actually the guy you just spoke of, is Ben Simmons. Uh, I very easily could have put him in my starting lineup, but like I said, I was going more for caliber, and I know that my lineup seems wonky, but uh, I have enough backups in reserve to really balance the team out like i said so uh ben simmons is my first uh reserve yeah my first reserve i went with demontis sabonis uh having a great year for the pacers the pacers have been a little down uh the last couple weeks uh but uh demontis sabonis has not been down playing really really good uh basketball right now who do you got next uh my second guy is actually uh a guy you mentioned a little while ago zach levine uh, I mean, oh, he's God. Listen, Are you man, trying to hurt my soul. This would be his first time, uh, you know, really coming in here and, and making an impact for the Achilles all-star team. Okay. Um, but he's a slam dunk champ. I believe he won what two times. Uh, he's explosive. He's you've, have you seen his point for game average so far this season? Yes, I mean, I've it, also watched the bulls play. Yeah. But this, <laughs> this is the thing. This is Achilles, you know, all-star team this isn't you know it, it's i get where you're coming from okay you take team wins into consideration way more than i do uh to me this is about individual kind of uh accolades and recognition so i, I feel like he definitely deserves it the way he's been playing yeah this is someone who probably put kobe on their all-star team the last five years <laughs> sometimes you can get in on just married alone okay so (laughs) all right my next guy up is jason tatum uh really having a strong year great scorer uh the celtics uh starting to bounce back a little bit after a really really uh poor uh three weeks but have been really solid the last week and a half who do you have up next uh, I actually have the exact same person. I have Jason Tatum also, and basically for all the same reasons you said, uh, probably one of the better players in the league. Like I said, very easily could have made my starting lineup, but uh, I'm going with the more wonky one this time. So Yeah. Um, next up, the other Celtic, uh, the duo. I got Jalen Brown in mind. So uh, Jalen Brown up next. Uh, really, he might come up in the awards category uh, as well. Really elevated his game and played great, great basketball this year. Yeah, it's almost like you kind of uh, looked up my lineup because that's my next guy also is Jalen Brown. Uh, You know, he's averaging just around 25 points per game. So uh, the stats speak for themselves. Like I said, to me, this is more of an individual type of, uh, you know, a game where you recognize people based off their personal accolades. So he's been playing well enough that I feel like he's good enough to make my reserve squad. Yeah. All right. Uh, Guess who I have next? Your boy. I didn't totally exclude him. Bradley Beal is in there. Uh, the Wizards have been much better uh, of late and uh, starting to uh, knock on the playoff door. Uh, I think that probably says more about the East than anything else. But uh, Bradley Beal's stats, you can't deny. And uh, how great a player he really is, you can't deny. I, I give you crap about it, but uh, he really is a stunning player. And uh, once he decides to 
trade himself somewhere, we might actually see uh, a worthwhile winning percentage as well with that. Is he still leading the league in scoring right now? Yes, but okay. uh, I, I just wanted to throw I just wanted to throw that out there and just kind of put it on record that you've got him as what your fourth or fifth reserve. You know, the guy's leading the league in scoring, but okay. <laughs> I, I don't factor in scoring as much as winning. This is the all-star game, man. This is what it's about. I'm about wins in the all-star game as well. Okay, fair enough. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm not going to try and talk you out of your ways when it comes to basketball. I know better. <laughs> what do you have up next? Uh, for my next guy, I'm actually going over to your favorite team, the New York Knicks. Uh, and I'm going with uh, Julius Randle. I feel like he's been playing really well. His game has definitely improved like leaps and bounds from the time when he was back in California. So um, at this pace, he definitely deserves to be an all-star. And if he continues at this pace, I feel like maybe there's some other award uh, down the line for him. Yeah. Uh, Julius Randle is on my reserve squad as well. So we were both in the same thinking there. Um Definitely, definitely have really enjoyed watching him play this year. And the Knicks are uh, almost good. I, I wouldn't go as far as good, but uh, good for the East. So uh, Julius Randle on my squad as well. What do you have next? Uh, not that I hate this guy, okay? I don't hate him. I don't hate a lot of people. Uh, and he's definitely not one of them. Uh, I had to go with Kyrie Irving. Uh, I feel like the skill level uh, speaks for itself, regardless of what you may think of him, uh, you know, as a – person as a player whatever I, I this is just about like i said personal accolades and i feel like his skill level is definitely deserving of at least uh you know a spot in the reserve spot squad okay well i do hate him so guess what he doesn't make my reserve team <laughs> uh i put another guard in there one who's uh leading their team in scoring and that's fred van fleet i i just thought uh it he's worthwhile to get a all-star nod uh He's been the best player on that Toronto Raptors team uh, right now. And I just thought maybe we give Fred Van Fleet some love here, uh, especially since he hasn't been a jackass for half the year with the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, I got Fred Van Fleet. Yeah, that's actually a really good pick. Uh, Van Fleet and Sabonis were both also on my honorable mentions along with Kevin Durant. Uh, but my last guy is Atlanta's Trey Young. Um, oh, God. Oh. Listen, listen. He what just you got his coach fired. Yeah, but look, the guy's still been playing really well. He's, I, I, listen, yes, they're probably not doing as hot as you'd like this team to do before you give him recognition, but the guy's been playing well, man, and he deserves some sort of recognition. I felt like he deserved my last spot there. I, I just, from the, the old eyeball test, I felt like he's been playing well enough to make that last spot. Yes, well, he'll fit in nicely with his defensive style of letting everybody score on him. Uh, I got your guy, Nikola Vucevic, as my last reserve on this team. Uh, no Trey Young, no Kyrie Irving for me. Those two can go play their uh, shoot and uh, score style somewhere else for me. So uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, my last all-star reserve for the Eastern Conference. All right, let's move to the Western Conference. Uh, this one was a little bit harder uh, starting five. I, I think uh, front court-wise, you probably uh, have it pretty locked down, but uh, it got a little weird in that guard position. I, there are two spots with uh, three players really pretty deserving there. So uh, let's start out in the front court. What do you got in the front court here? Uh, let's see. I believe uh, – let me just make sure I got my right lineup here. Okay. 
Um, yeah, I'm starting off with uh, with Steph Curry uh, from the Golden State. Obviously, we already know what the skill level possess. You know, multiple time champ, uh, seven time All Star, um, averaging just under 30 points per game. You know, I don't think there's much argument when it comes to. I know that they're not playing really well, but everything that they are doing is basically because of him. Uh, he's been carrying his team. He's put his team on his back and. He's going to try to take them as far as he can, at least until they get healthy and kind of uh, get into some good uh, good rhythm. But I still feel that he's definitely deserving to be that number one guy on the team. Yeah, uh, I I had to push uh, Steph to the bench because there are essentially three guards all worthy uh, and two spots. So uh, I got uh, Luka Doncic as uh, as my first guard uh, for them, and uh, I just uh, Luka's carrying a Really, when you start to look at that roster in Dallas, um, a awful, awful team. Uh, and he's carrying them into the playoffs. So uh, Luka Doncic right now is just uh, my uh, number one guard off the on the West right now. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I completely understand, which is why I'm going to ask you to understand why my team lineup is so wonky here. Um, just like in the East, I went really big. In the West, I'm going a little bit smaller. We're going to play some small ball in the West. Um, for my number two guard, I have uh, Portland's Damian Lillard, uh, another big-time scorer who's averaging just under 30 points per game, uh, six-time All-Star. He's, he obviously can distribute the ball really well. Um, I still think that Curry's probably the better passer, so that's why I had to put him at the number two spot. He's definitely, in my opinion, probably more explosive scorer, a uh, guy that you can kind of you know slash the defense with, uh, but he can still kick it out and uh, get it to someone else. So. Uh, he's he's in my number two spot. Yeah, uh, this is really who I benched Curry for, and really you can't go wrong. Curry, Lillard, Doncic, all you know, elite level guards. So I I went with Damian Lillard just because uh, Damian's had to carry this Portland Trailblazers team without Nurkic in there, without C.J. McCollum in there for most of the season, and he's kept them afloat. Uh, really with uh, really really bad players. So uh, I, I went Damian Lillard as my number two guard. And again, I, I hope you understand my train of thought when it came to my lineup. I know it's not conventional or traditional like you'd like, but uh, for my number three spot, uh, I actually have Luca in that spot. Oh, you 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 went a little cheating, and though Luca is a six ten, two hundred and fifty pound beast. <laughs> so as you can you can now see how I kind of maneuvered the whole situation there. But yeah, uh, Luca probably one of the best players in the league. Uh, he's been playing lights out, so there's really no denying him being on there. Uh, you know, former Rookie of the Year, two time All Star. So I don't think there's any argument. I don't think many people will argue me trying to get him in my starting lineup, regardless of what spot I put him in. Yeah. Uh, my next guy, uh, the number three, uh, I'm going with uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, probably the second or third best player in the league. So I don't really think you could leave him off. And uh, he's had a really, really solid year. I know you did because I know the other two probably have to be on there. <laughs> well, maybe. Listen, you could, like I said, you can read me pretty well. Okay. And I know you love yourself some Kawhi. And, and I'm not going to argue with you. The guy is a great player. But I had to go with the King, man. I had to take somebody from the Lakers on this spot. Uh, and that's going to be the team captain, which is LeBron James, 17-time uh, All-Star, four-time MVP, four-time champ. I mean, there's really nothing much that needs to be said. Like I, like I said earlier about Kobe, sometimes you can get in on merit alone. Uh, and that's basically where LeBron James is right now. 
Yeah. Uh, LeBron James is my next spot on my starting five. Uh, you cannot leave him out. He's pretty much carried that Lakers team all year long with Anthony Davis being out and, uh, Really, uh, even despite their struggles uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, LeBron is putting together typical LeBron uh, numbers and performance. So uh, LeBron is my next guy. Now, I will give you the rest of my honorable mentions after we do our reserves, but I, I do want to just put it out there that Anthony Davis is on my honorable mentions. Yeah, I, I, I just left him off because, uh, I mean, he hasn't played for, you know, four weeks of the season, uh, but uh, – as you know from our ranking show, I, I value Anthony Davis quite high. So if Anthony Davis would have been healthy and playing, uh, I don't know who I probably would have bumped off. Uh, maybe Kawhi here. Uh, but uh, it would have been really hard uh, to do that. But, uh, yeah, Anthony Davis, uh, I think we both know, would have been an all-star. But for my last spot on my on Achilles' all-star team, uh, I went with Jokic, uh, the big guy. Uh, obviously, you You've seen the game itself. The guy is lights out. He can do just about anything. He can go after the boards. He can score. He can play defense. Uh, you know, he's not the best at certain qualities, but he's still a really effective player. He's a three-time All-Star and uh, definitely deserving to be in that last spot on Achilles' All-Star team. Yeah, and uh, guess what? Jokic is my number five, so uh, there's no way I, I would leave off Jokic, especially with the way he's playing uh, right now. Uh, just ridiculous numbers he's putting up. He's throwing up 30, 15s, and 14s uh, nightly, uh, which is just ridiculous for a seven-foot man who really uh, doesn't he, have a whole lot of athleticism. He's almost averaging a triple-double. Yes. <laughs> and, like, and like you said, not the, you know, not the most uh, athletically gifted uh, big man that there is, but – uh, he's getting it done, man. Yeah. All right. So those are our starting five. Let's get into our reserves. Where are you going with your reserve here? Uh, for my first reserve spot, I am going with one of your boys, and that's Donovan Mitchell from the Jazz. Um, obviously, he's had a tremendous season. The Jazz team itself has been playing really well. Uh, they they have a really good record, probably better than a lot of people assume that they would have at this point in the season. Uh, and I know how much you value wins, so – uh, I don't think you'd argue with me having him as one of my first uh, reserves. No, and uh, Donovan Mitchell made my reserves as well. Two Jazz made my reserves, and uh, Donovan Mitchell was definitely one of them. Uh, the best team in the league, and uh, he's the best player on the best team in the league, uh, give or take if you want to already Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Uh, my second guy is go- – or did you give us your guy hey. – Donovan, Donovan Mitchell was my okay. next one, but Gobert is going to be the next I, I one just, as well. I, I just know how much you love him, and I wanted to make sure that you weren't just, you know, praising my pick uh, a lot more than I was praising it myself. So um, for my number two uh, reserve spot, I'm going with uh, the Clippers' Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, you said it. The guy is probably one of the better players in the league, uh, averaging just about under 27 points per game. Uh, he's averaging about five assists, just a little bit over six rebounds. So – the stats speak for themselves. The accolades speak for themselves. The skill speaks for itself. So uh, Kawhi Leonard's one of my other reserves. Yeah. Uh, well, you went with uh, Steph and uh, shifted Luca down to the three. I had to put Steph on the bench, and Steph would be my next one on there. Clearly deserving. Uh, there really is uh, – well, technically, there are probably seven players who deserve five spots on the Western starting uh, roster. So, I mean, somebody gets pushed to the bench, and I just went Steph Curry, but uh, not that I think Steph is not worthy of being a starter or anything. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, when I was going through my list, 
I probably had a harder time deciding who was going to be on my reserves and who wasn't going to make the cut. There's just a lot of really good players in the league right now. Yeah, the West was ridiculous having to start making cuts. Uh, I had a little bit easier time in the East just because uh, I don't fall for your Zach Levines and Trey Young. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at right now? Are uh, we on the third spot? Third spot. Okay, uh, for my third spot, I'm going with another Clipper, and that's Paul George. Uh, the guy's averaging just under 24 points per game. Uh, he's uh, just like almost like why six, six rebounds, five assists, something like that. Uh, so, I, again, one of the better guys, one of the better forwards in the league, um, you know, probably not uh, uh, on the elite level, probably not playing as well as he used to play, but still a very dangerous uh, player to go up against night in, night out. So, um, I think he obviously just like I said, the accolades speak for themselves. Yeah, I have Paul George as well. Uh, he's teetering 50, 40, 90. So uh, he's playing, he's shooting really, really well this year. Uh, granted, uh, the last couple of big games, uh, Paul has been bricking, but uh, that's per the course for Paul George. So as long as he remains in anonymity and uh, doesn't have a big moment to live up to, I, I think he's just fine. Uh, but Paul George made my list too. Quite easy pick. Uh, on, next on my list, I actually have a guy that I know you love. And I, I love his defensive mindset. You know, probably not one of the flashiest guys, uh, probably not one of the most physically, at least uh, when it comes to, you know, the eyeball test. One of the most, like, he's not very physically intimidating, but still a very, very good defender. And that's uh, the Jazz's Rudy Gobert. Uh, and, I mean, what I don't, I don't have to say anything about this guy. You know, I know how much you love this guy. And, you know, how much you think he's actually affected the, the, uh, the Jazz team uh, in general. So uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but obviously he could have very easily be, been a starter in my opinion, but I at least have to get him into my reserves. Yeah, Rudy's on my reserves as well. Uh, when you build your defensive mindset and are one of the best defensive teams in the league around Rudy Gobert, you can just look at the on-off numbers when Rudy's on the bench and uh, Rudy's on the floor. It's just ridiculous the uh, defensive effect he has on the game. Uh, you know, the last uh, game and a half uh, notwithstanding, as Zion and Embiid have lit him up. But uh, that rim protection, uh, you can't just say enough about being able to have your guards funnel guys right into Rudy and then struggling to get their shots off. Uh, and really, a perfect uh, pick-and-roll guy on the offensive end. I mean, he's not going to be shacked and you throw him the ball and he turns and, you know, does a bunch of moves. But uh, he sets a pick, he rolls to the basket, and he gets you a dunk. So, uh I just love Rudy Gobert. So Rudy made my list quite as, as well. Now, uh, next on my list is a guy that you just spoke of that uh, I wouldn't say dominated your boy Rudy, but, you know, he played him really tough. And I know you're not a huge fan. So I'm just throwing that well, out there. You're going to be shocked uh, because he might have made my list as well. I'm going with the big guy, Zion. Uh, I know that, you know, he hasn't been as physically intimidating as he – you know, kind of was anticipated to be when he came into the league, but he's still playing really well. And in my opinion, he's playing smart basketball. Something that's going to extend his, his longevity when it comes to his career, uh, which in my opinion, if he can play at this level, you know, without putting his body at too much risk, I feel like he's probably going to be a multi, you know, time all-star. So. 
Yeah, uh, Zion made my list as well. Uh, I ignored the fact that he can't defend anyone. And uh, for some reason, this extremely large and athletic man somehow is not pulling double-digit rebounds down a game. But uh, the his offensive prowess right now is uh, probably some of the best in the league. Uh, nobody is capable of guarding him. And once he gets on the move, uh, it's really, really, really destructive. So uh, the way he's been playing the last handful of weeks now, granted, somehow the Pelicans still aren't winning, but uh, Zion has been ridiculously good on the offensive side of the ball and uh, much deserving of a reserve spot. Yeah, which is that's why I picked them after Rudy because you know I, I I value defense a little bit more when it comes to the reserves, uh, but I we still got to get some big guys that can put up numbers. So yeah, definitely. Um, All right, so two spots left, and uh, I think this is where it it's a little hard to make the cuts. And uh, who made it for you? Oh gosh, okay. So for my last two spots, like you said, these were really tough. Uh, I wanted to go with uh, kind of a big guy and then kind of between someone I could use, you know, uh, maybe at the two, maybe at the three. Um, So for my final to last spot, I went with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, (laughs) I, yeah, I saw the eye roll. Okay. But listen, Uh... the guy, Oh God. Okay. I want you to tell me why you don't like that pick. Have you watched the Timberwolves play? Yes, of course I have. But have you watched him play? We were, if we were having our regular seven on seven, we were going to have a Timberwolves come. Uh, there was some set the other day in the last like 35 games. They're like four and 31 when Carl Anthony Towns plays. <laughs> okay, maybe so. But what else do they have? Oh, I don't know. Nothing. They're a terrible organization and possibly the worst in basketball. Again, I, I'm going off of personal accolades. It doesn't take much to make the Achilles all-star lineup. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely getting it to Anthony Towns. You, uh, you, you would be an owner just like the Minnesota Timberwolves. Maybe so. Maybe so. But at least I enjoyed watching him play. Please give me Russell Edwards and uh, Towns. Let's put up a bunch of numbers and never win a basketball game ever. No, Towns is a very good player. Uh, we went in my top 30 he was definitely there but uh it's just watching that team is just sad i I understand where you're coming from (laughs) all right my next guy uh i went with demar Derozan. uh efficiency out the wazoo right now uh he's uh leading in assist uh which is just ridiculous uh if you look back at his time with the raptors the way he's throwing out seven eight assist games and uh just his efficiency and i thought the spurs needed to be rewarded a little bit uh i mean they're like a six seed right now so uh i I don't know how you not put somebody who's a six seed in the west on the team so uh i thought DeRozan uh deserved a nod here yeah he's definitely one of the guys that i was looking at and it got really tough and you probably won't understand my, you know, train of thought when it comes to my last spot on my list. You can't but, have Zach Levine on both teams. What do you mean? I can't have him on both teams. Of course I can. <laughs> or Trey Young. <laughs> no. Uh, see, now I know you're going to give me a hard time about this one. Uh, I'm going with uh, Brandon Ingram. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I know, I know. Let me hear it. I'll take it. Load up with the underachieving New Orleans Pelicans. Listen, maybe those two guys, along with all these other All Stars, will be able to actually win a game. So that's that's what I'm hoping for here. That might have to do with a starting lineup that has Luca and LeBron James and Jokic. 
And yeah, that might help. I mean, if you've got him as one of your backers, I think you're doing pretty well. All right. So uh, you went Brandon Ingram. Uh, I had to give the Suns some love because they're now up to number two in the West. Uh, I, I thought Chris Paul deserved the love. Uh, I don't think actually Devin Booker is having a great, great year. Uh, so uh, I just thought Chris Paul, uh, despite my uh, qualms, at least he uh, goes around and wins games, uh, unlike some point guard. So I, I just thought Chris Paul deserved the nod. I can do without the uh, All-Stars crying when like Devin Booker gets snubbed. I, I wanted to ask LeBron James, who was he kicking off the team? And was it going to be his Anthony Davis, who he was kicking off the team because Booker didn't make the spot? So uh, anyway, it worked out because Davis is hurt and Booker got the spot. But I just thought Chris Paul deserved that last spot. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I, you know, like I said, I had a few honorable mentions. I said uh, Anthony Davis was one of them already. But I also had Chris Paul on there. I feel like he's definitely changed the dynamic of that team. He's not the Chris Paul of old, you know, the guy that we're used to seeing who could, you know, completely run an office all by himself. That's the one in five years we'll be looking at and wondering why he was on the all-star team. But, you know, he, I think he's definitely had an impact on the Suns team. Yes, definitely. And uh, I, I do want to give some credit also to one of my other honorable mentions, which is uh, Booker. Uh, you know, I know you said that you don't think he's having such a great season. Uh, I actually think he is. I think that Chris Paul's benefiting from the type of play that he's been putting up. Um, I think they complement each other really well. So I, I had thought that if I can't get them both on the same team, even as reserves, then I'll get them both on the honorable mention squad. All right. Good enough. All right. Those are our all-star picks. Now let's go to our mid-season awards. Uh, do we want to start from the MVP and work our way down, or do we want to start with the loser awards and work our way up? Yeah, I think we work our way up because, uh, you know, MVP is all the talk. So we'll work uh, our way up. All right, we'll work our way up. We'll uh, start with Rookie of the Year. There's not a whole lot of choice here. Uh, I think we'll both probably cringe as we say it, but honestly, uh, this team's been pretty exciting to watch all year long. So uh, who do you have for Rookie of the Year? You know, like you said, there definitely is a little bit of a cringe factor when it comes to saying this name out loud uh, because I don't want to admit it, but it seems like all of the uh, analysts uh, definitely saw something that I didn't see. I did see the skill level, but I also saw a bunch of other drama and a lot of other baggage that came along with that skill. Um, so I didn't think it was, I don't think it warranted that number one pick, but obviously they saw something that I didn't see. And uh, my rookie of the year for so far this season is definitely LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I have LaMelo Ball too. Uh-oh, clear buddy. Clear the throat. Yes, don't worry about it. I'll cover you. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I can't deny it. The guy's been playing really well. Um, he's definitely added a spark to that team, and they they seem to be playing better because of him uh, as opposed to him, you know, being a, kind of an extra weight that they have to carry around. He seems to be contributing more to wins. So um, as much as I hate to admit it, uh, I, so far he's my rookie of the year. Yeah, uh, this is my third podcast of the day, so <laughs> <laughs> the voice is starting to go. Uh LaMelo Ball has to be the rookie of the year right now. I don't think both either of us thought, uh, one, he'd fit in this well, which is probably the biggest shock. Uh, I think we both saw ability in their rebounding assist. Uh, the scoring is much better than I thought it would be, but uh, his ability to fit in and not be a jackass really, really uh, shocked me, and he's really a good teammate. And uh, this Charlotte team is really, really uh, an enjoyable watch. Uh, and um, so uh, – yeah, LaMelo Ball, uh, 
I don't know what others you could probably really put in there. Uh, maybe a little Tyrese Halliburton, uh, but uh, the Kings are so bad. I, I don't even think you could question uh, anybody else is even close. Yeah. Well, I thought that Halliburton was probably a little close, but I didn't think it was close enough to even mentioning. Um, I think that right now, as it stands, uh, ball is probably hands down the uh, rookie of the year. Yeah. All right. Let's go to most improved. Where are you going with your most improved player? Uh, most improved. Uh, this is a guy that I talked about uh, for my all-star squad. Uh, I, I definitely seen the improvement. I didn't think that he would improve this far. I thought we had seen his ceiling already, but obviously he's got a lot more to offer and seems to be improving. And if it continues this way, I, I think he's hands down the most improved player. And that's uh, the New York Knicks, Julius Randle. Uh, who's averaging just uh, under 24 points per game, uh, a little bit over five assists per game and, you know, 11 rebounds per game. So when you're averaging a double-double um, after, you know, being what you've been, I think you're definitely in the talks for uh, most improved player. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my guy was actually uh, DeAndre Hunter. And uh, the Hawks were uh, – he, he's hurt right now, but this is midseason awards. Uh, hopefully he'll make his way back. But the Hawks were 8-8 eight and eight when he got hurt. And uh, – since then, they have been just awful. They just fired their coach. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was actually probably the Hawks' best player this year. And the jump from last year to this year, I just thought, was uh, ridiculously good. So I have Hunter right now in my uh, uh, as my number one guy. I, I think Randall's in there. Uh, I think some uh, uh, Bruce Brown, uh, the Nets guy who's sort of playing hybrid uh I don't know what position, hybrid power forward, center, small forward, uh, do everything to cover up the uh, bad defense of Harden and Irving pretty much uh, deserves a little recognition here. And uh, both uh, Julius Randle and uh, Jalen Brown, I, I think uh, of the uh, high level players, you know, uh, probably uh, also deserve mention in this most improved as well. Yeah, I, I get that. That definitely makes sense. I just, I don't know, maybe it's because he was a Laker and I'm a little biased, but I just feel like when it comes to all these other players, Brown, all these guys, yes, there's an improvement, but it's not an improvement that we didn't really see coming, whereas in, with to me, Julius Randle is a definite improvement that I didn't see coming. Yeah, definitely. Good call. All right, uh, we're going to go to Coach of the Year, and I'm really curious where you're sitting here on Coach of the Year. Yeah, I was really, really torn between these two guys, and that's uh, both of the coaches that are actually uh, coaching the All-Star team. Uh, that's Doc Rivers and, uh, and Snyder in Utah. I think both teams, have, both coaches have done an excellent job in transforming uh, their respective teams, and not just that, but almost kind of overnight changing the, uh, the, the culture of the franchise. Um, it seems like when you look at both of these squads now, you expect night in, night out to, to bring, you know, some sort of greatness. And I think it all starts from the top up, uh, from the top down. Um, so I think that these two coaches were definitely kind of neck and neck. But if I had to pick somebody, I mean, it's hard to pick against Snyder, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I, I went a little different. Uh, I went with James Borrego of Charlotte. He has this team at number six in the Eastern Conference at 17 and 18. I, I know we don't, you know, usually reward you know, medium level. But, uh, I, I mean, if I told you the Charlotte Hornets roster, uh, I mean, I don't think you'd say there was one, like, elite, elite level player on this thing. I mean, they're led by uh, Terry Rozier and, you know, LaMelo Ball. And it, it's just a mismatched roster. Cody Zeller, Miles Bridges, Malik Mott, P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham. I mean, 
Bismack Biombo is coming off the bench and uh, being productive. Uh, if you're a coach and you can get that, you probably deserve some accolades. But uh, I, I just think the ability to make this uh, Charlotte Hornets roster competitive, and I just think that deserves a little more credit than, uh, you know, both uh, Quinn Snyder and um, Doc Rivers uh, getting rosters that are really, really have numerous elite level players. I mean, that jazz roster is loaded eight deep with, uh, you know, high level NBA players and the Sixers literally uh, tanked for six years <laughs> to build the roster that they have now. So I, I just, uh, I, I went a little different and uh, I went with James Borrego. No, and it makes sense. I mean, it definitely makes sense, especially the way you put it. You know, it's just that to me, you know, most of the time I'll tell you that when it comes to, you know, awards, I don't take the team uh, record or their wins into consideration as much as I do individual performances. Now, when it comes to the coaching, uh, I'm the opposite of that. I think that wins really reflects yeah. uh, uh, as far as the coach's ability goes and the record says it also. Yeah. Uh, well, I, Brega was my first choice, but uh, Snyder, Monty Williams, and Greg Pavlovich were my next three. So you can sort of see where I do factor in the wins. I just, I mean. No, it makes sense. What you said makes sense to me. Yeah. I, it, it's just impressive the way this Charlotte team is playing. Like uh, even we talked about it. I made fun of you with your Carl Anthony Towns thing, but you look at that Minnesota roster, they got three <laughs> top three lottery picks sitting there and they can't win a game. And Charlotte literally has a bunch of low level lottery picks to undrafted guys and are winning games and are in playoff contention. So uh, just really impressed with uh, the what James Borrego is doing. I was impressed last year as he had this team contending for a playoff spot again last year as well. Yeah, like I said, totally makes sense. I get where you're coming from, and uh, I don't fault you at all for that pick. I think it's a really good pick. Yeah, all right. We'll go to sixth man of the year. Uh, I don't know if we can find uh, someone other than the sixth man who's easily going to win it right now, but uh, we'll see if you could come up with any other names. Uh, who do you have for sixth man of the year? Uh, I mean, I don't know if this is a consensus favorite, but in my opinion, uh, I, I consider him the sixth man, and, and I think that he's probably going to end up winning it, especially if the team he's playing this way. And that's another Utah guy, which is uh, Jordan Clarkson. Um, he's obviously been contributing uh, a lot on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and that's kind of what they need, especially they need a spark when it, when their main guys are out, uh, getting a little bit of a rest. They need a spark, and Clarkson's been that spark. So I feel like um, he's probably been the most valuable uh, bench asset for their team uh, when it comes to the, the league this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Clarkson's my choice too. I, I, there's nobody even really uh, that close. Uh, I put Joe Ingles and Thad Young hovering around in there, but uh, like, honestly, I don't think you could even make an argument all that well for anybody but Clarkson. The way Clarkson's come off the bench and scored, it's, it's a runaway right now, especially with the efficiency that he's had. Uh, it's just been ridiculous the way he's come in. Yeah, definitely. I, I, like I said, wins for the team individual stats uh he's basically got the position lockdown in my opinion yeah all right so uh let's go defensive player of the year i'm a little curious where you're going here uh, i talked about it a little bit during our all-star uh you know picks and i'm going with another jazz player here uh rudy gobert i think that 
you know, offensively, the stats aren't great, but this isn't an offensive award. This is a defensive award. And obviously, he's been one of the better defensive players in the league. You know, he alters all kinds of shots. He gets in people's faces. He's not the most physically uh, intimidating person, like I said earlier, but he is still, uh, you know, a defensive prowess. He's a really good defensive player. Um, I feel like he affects the game night in and night out. And uh, anybody who's going up against him can probably vouch for that. Probably not one of the guys you want to see, you know, facing you up when you're trying to, you know, drive to the rim or or cut to the basket. He's a really good defensive player. Yeah, I I thought you might go that way. Uh, I'm going to go with Ben Simmons. Uh, Now, uh, it's very hard uh, to do that the way Rudy Gobert is, but uh, I just love the Swiss Army knife that Ben Simmons. He can guard your point guard, and actually, in theory, he can guard centers too. I mean, not all centers. But uh, I wouldn't put him on Jokic or anything, but uh, he can guard centers and he can guard point guards. So uh, I, I just love that Swiss Army knife style. You saw him lock down Luka uh, a couple weeks ago. It, it's just really impressive the way he can just move around and guard many different styles of player and position of player. Yeah, I mean, I get where you're coming from and it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, my mentality when it comes to that position is the guy that kind of locked down the paint. And when you're averaging just in the three blocks per game, you're a defensive anchor on the, you know, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball uh, and that's Gobert. So to me, he was my lock-in for uh, defensive player of the year. Yeah. Uh, Rudy was my next choice. And then uh, Joel Embiid and Draymond Green were also in there. Uh, I, I think Draymond Green's really been impressive this year. Uh, he can't score anymore, but uh, he really anchors a, a really nice switchy defense and uh, Embiid's, been a, a nice little uh, paint defender as well. Uh, not as good as Rudy Gobert, but uh, I just went Swiss Army Knife style and Ben Simmons. Okay, we're at the MVP. I'm really curious where you're going with MVP. Uh, are you voting with your heart or are you voting with your brain here? I, I think it's a little bit of both, uh, but mostly my brain. Uh, because if it was my heart, I'd probably just go all Lakers, you know me. Um, Dennis Schroeder as your number two choice. <laughs> that was going to be my sixth man of the you year. Saw how bad they got once he left for uh, COVID protocols. Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, he's obviously he's obviously the uh, the missing link on that team. I thought um, you were going to put Kuzma as your sixth man. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, listen, I, I'm really biased, but I try not to be, uh, especially for these awards. So. Um, I try to get into the guys that I thought were most, most deserving, uh, even though I am really biased most of the time. Uh, but for my MVP, I actually went with uh, Jokic. Uh, like you said, the stats speak for themselves. The guy's averaging basically almost a triple-double per game. Uh, he comes in, plays offense, plays defense, you know, goes after rebounds. And like you said, not the most nimble guy, not probably the most athletic you know, uh, big man that there is, but he seems to be able to do it all. And there's not much that I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see him being able to accomplish. I think that he's probably the most valuable asset to his team uh, in the league. And if he were to leave that team, it'd be a completely different Denver team. Yeah. Uh, my number one guy, uh, I, I have to admit, uh, when we first uh, told you I was doing this uh, list, uh, when the show was going to be recorded and I wasn't procrastinating, I had Damian Lillard. And uh, then Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers went on about a six-game losing streak. So I altered it in the last couple days, and uh, I moved Joel Embiid in there, uh, really being a dominant force in the paint right now. Uh, 
He, he's becoming everything we thought he should become. He, he's in much better shape. He can play the minutes. He can work hard uh, for long stretches of the game instead of in small stretches. And uh, his scoring ability, when he gets in that post, it's, uh, it's old school. It's, you know, uh, 90s uh, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon style. It's, it's just something we haven't really seen since uh, Yao Ming and Shaq were in this league. And uh, then everybody decided to, call everything a touch foul and uh guards started dominating this league so it it's good to see uh joel and beat in there and uh my number two choice was your number one choice and i have Jokic at number two for me when was the last time that uh i guess you'd technically call these guys centers when was the last time a center won mvp was yeah. it Shaq? it probably was Shaq. uh I, I can't remember if Shaq or duncan uh won it last uh but it's probably one of those two uh so uh, I, I don't think uh, any other MVP has not been a guard sense, guard forward swing. I don't know what you call LeBron James and such. But, yeah, uh, that's probably the last one, Shaq or Duncan. Now, I know that this isn't your, uh, your gambling podcast, uh, but I wonder what the odds are on that. Uh, I'm sure that right now they've probably jumped already. but Yeah. Uh, the other guys I, I had in here were uh, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, and LeBron James. Um, really think uh, – I, I really liked Dame until this uh, little stretch where I think he started to wear down a little bit. Uh, LeBron has to be in there, but uh, I haven't loved his – it sounds stupid. He's a little, he looks a little less efficient than he usually is. Uh, now that might be cause he's shoulder and a lot more of the load. Uh, but, uh, that, and, uh, you know, it, he's getting older. So I, I just don't think regular season, this is the regular season award. He's the MVP right now. Yeah. I, I have to agree with as much as I'd like for him to win it. Cause that would probably mean that the Lakers are doing really well. Uh, I just don't see it this season. But, you know, obviously we still have, I guess, technically a whole nother half to go. So Yeah, we have a little uh, more than that, technically speaking. So we'll see how things pan out. But as of right now, for me, it has to be Jokic. Also, uh, Luca, the last two months is uh, coming on with a bullet right now. Yeah, definitely. All right, that's our show. We'll have another show Achilles reign to talk NBA. But we're going to go now to Rita Cinema and our review of Nomadland. All right, we're going to bring in Rita Cinema to do our movie review of the Oscar favorite, Nomadland. Are we going to get into a favorite of yours for the Oscars, or did you find it the bore that I did? <laughs> no, it's going to be one of my award favorites. I think we've got Nomadland. It's showing on Hulu, fresh off its big Golden Globe win for Best Film Drama, and Best Director by Chloe Zhao. Um, this is a film that I has deservedly received a great deal of attention as we head toward awards season. I watched it on Hulu before the Golden Globes were handed out, so I, you know, I already knew it was a favorite at, when I when I watched it and saw the Golden. Well, Globes. I also sent you the odds, which told you it was a favorite. <laughs> That's true. But it got quite a bit of publicity pre-Golden Globes, and it will be an Oscar favorite, too, I, I feel certain. Um, the story is inspired by a 2017 nonfiction book by Jessica Bruder, Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century. Uh, Bruder is a journalist who's described as focusing on subcultures 
and the dark corners of the economy. And I would say that's exactly what this movie does. Um, starring a the central character Fern, played by Frances McDormand, who shockingly did not win the Golden Globe for Best Actress, um, along with a variety of people who live in vans and RVs, generally having no homes, traveling around the country, taking seasonal work or other kind of temp jobs, and they have settled into this life of sustaining themselves on the road as nomads, therefore Nomadland. Um, Fern has pretty much had her life wrested from her as her husband lost his job when the U.S. gypsum closed down in Empire, Nevada, Nevada which is a true uh, story. The town virtually disappeared. The zip code went away. Fern lost her, work, her job as a substitute teacher because there was no community anymore. She sold or stored all her belongings after her husband died. She outfits an old van and proceeds to live out of it, working at an Amazon fulfillment center nearby until seasonal work um, until the seasonal work runs out. Um, it's in the middle of the winter, and she can't find another job. Uh, but she pointedly um, refers to herself as houseless, not homeless, when a friend tries to offer her help. Uh, at the same time, Fern doesn't want to leave the area. She has ties there. It's where she and her husband lived. Uh, but because she can't find work, she's eventually persuaded to join a friend uh, at a desert rendezvous in Arizona that's organized by Bob Wells, who, by the way, is a real person, not fictionalized. And Fern is fictionalized character, although most of the people in this film are non-actors and they're living this life. Um, anyway, Bob at this rendezvous and the, the people who get together there provide a support system for each other and a community, um, and they bond with each other even though they're not together all the time. So they're just fellow nomads that help each other out. Uh, so Fern meets these individuals when she goes to this Arizona camp, and she learns more about the nomad culture and basic survival and uh, self-sufficiency skills for living on the road. Um, now, the scenes of these get-togethers, uh, of the, all these people in vans and, and RVs and that kind of thing, um, were shot in various places uh, around the country, mostly in the West. Um, and she meets actual Americans who have taken up this nomadic life. That's why I mean these aren't actors. Um, with the exception, uh, there's one other actor in it, uh, David Strathern, who plays a character that takes more than a passing interest in Fern. Um, all the characters in, in the movie are real folks of various ages and um, lifestyles. Um, uh, as an aside, just uh, here, I'd, I'd interject that I think this is one of the reasons Frances McDormand is so good in this film. She fits into this group of non-actors, real people, and, and honestly, you don't even know that she is an actress. You, I, you wouldn't know that she wasn't one of the group, honestly. Um, it almost seems as if uh, McDormand is improvising some of her conversations uh, at times with the people who are around her in, in these groups. I just think it's masterful. And um, actually, the group of non-actors who portray themselves in the film were quite wonderful um, as well. Um, uh, very true to life, uh, I think. <clears throat> so after her visit to Arizona and that little get-together, Fern, everybody kind of goes their way, and she's left alone, and she decides to take off as well. Uh, she takes up uh, the life of traveling around, 
taking uh, in various places around mostly the western U.S., and she gets temporary jobs there uh, from working in national parks and restaurants. And um, again, Amazon is uh, one of the notorious places that these uh, nomads get temp work uh, as well. <clears throat> as part of the saga, she eventually makes a connection with this fellow um, camper slash nomad David, uh, played by David uh, Strathern. Um, and he has... Uh, he has he she meets him on the road in these camps, but then he is pulled off the road by his son because um, his son pulls him back into the family and um, because they've had a baby and um, so he goes to live with them after they have the baby and he's pretty happy in his life where he has roots again. Fern goes to visit him and he tries to talk her into staying permanently, um, and uh, she she takes that into consideration for uh, for a while. She also has a. a eventually a financial emergency involving some fixings to her van, uh, repairs to her van. And that drives her to visit her sister, who also tries to steer her away from this nomadic life. And in both cases, I say she's, she's tempted. She's very tempted. But ultimately, she makes the decision. There's a lot more to this, of course. But ultimately, she decides that this is the life for her, and she's okay not having roots put down somewhere. She eventually goes back to Nevada to work the temp job at the Amazon uh, Center and then proceeds at that point to break from her past. She sells all her belongings and takes to the road. And as part of this evolution and her growth, um, she meets a lot of different people and you hear a great deal from the people she meets and that um, she actually formed bonds with, she made friends with. Um, they have a lot of discussion. This is almost like watching a documentary, really. They have a lot of conversations with these these real people, Bob Wells being one of them, and he's pretty well known. I've seen stories about him on, on news shows. Um, <clears throat> and um, uh, also a character named Swanky, who at the end dies, and the whole group who knew Swanky uh, honors her by throwing rocks into a fire because that's what she liked to do. And... They, one of the things they point out, they, they dwell on, is that they, they know they will meet her down the road. That's one thing. These are people on the road, and they, they form bonds with each other, but they don't, um, it's, it's like they don't get sad about missing each other or being lonely or anything like that. And um, they, they always promise to see each other again down the road. That's part of the uplifting message, I think, uh, in, in this movie. So that's the summary, and I, I do have some observations as well. If you well, want to add some I things. will start with the good before I get in <laughs> on the bad. Uh, it's a very intense film shot really, really well, and uh, Frances McDormand gives a great performance. Uh, so... And uh, independent films like this do not get made all that often anymore. They've sort of been uh, just wiped out, uh, mostly because once a director does this, said director, you know, Chloe Zhao, is now directing The Eternals, the Marvel film. So basically, once you have done your independent film and get rewarded for it, then you gracefully go up and the Disney studio pays you millions and millions of dollars to take one of their tent I think she's done some other things. Yes, but it's very little. It's, she's done about four, you know, small independent yeah. films and her next film, it will be The Eternals. So but she's got to make some money somewhere. Yes, correct. Uh, <laughs> And uh, without 
the box office for this film to really go to uh, because it's gotten so much press and it is the Oscar favorite. Yeah. My guess is, you know, they sold it to uh, Hulu to run, but uh, I, you know, I don't think that would be what it would make if it had made it to the box office. But I did love its feel, its intensity. You actually felt this person's sort of happy misery. Yeah. Um, so, and, uh, you know, Frances McDormand, as always, gives a, you know, wonderful performance, as right. she always does. Uh, but then this movie has nothing to it. It's literally just a screenshot of someone's life. Essentially, you follow me to work for two days as I <laughs> go into work and come back and... That would be the film. It just sort of, I didn't think there was anything really to it. You had the uh, little bit of it with uh, uh, David, uh, who actually is David. Yes. <laughs> right. uh, you know, maybe she goes off, but uh, really I don't ever believe she will go off because had, she had numerous opportunities right. to sort of re-input her into life. And, you know, so that was where I just, I wasn't with it. I, yeah. I'm happy that the film is made. I want these kind of films to continue to be made. I, like I told you, I am a fan of the independent era. I essentially grew up in the independent era of film in the 90s, early 2000s, when we go to Blockbuster and we yeah. essentially go just see hundreds of movies on the shelf and we go, oh, this has Francis McDormand in it. Let's rent this and go watch it, you know. Uh, so that I like, but... I like them to be better, and I can't just be like, oh, this is a cool indie film that had a good feel, yeah. just because, you know, it's something that's nostalgic that I like. I just, I wasn't with it. I'm like, I'm bored here. I There's nothing that. to yeah. this film. I, I understand, and I do think some people will be bored. I, I think you have to get into the, the character of Fern and kind of be interested in where she's going and... And I think also you have to understand why these people are living the life they're living and kind of be interested in following them. And and it is hard to develop that interest. It's, you know, and there's a lot of walking around and driving around. And so there's no question about We just get scenes of her driving, sitting, <laughs> yeah. and sleeping, and occasionally <laughs> walking around, walking around yeah. doing her and job. Working, and working, yeah. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> here here are a few of my uh, observations too. Though um, I do think the cinematography is spectacular, and I liked the scenes on the road and the scenes where she's standing looking out at at, um, at, at scenery. Uh, and I think the perspective as she she uh, you know travels around the West is um, I, I I think that's worth watching the movie for. Um, I love the I love Western scenery. I love the geography of the West, and I think this show it's not green. I mean, you know, it's that rocky expanse, but you see these vast expanses that are just awe inspiring. That's always what makes the the West so interesting. Um, and I think behind it is this musical score that it, it, I liked the music and the scenery together. And, of course, that, that speaks to well, the cinematographer and the director. That being did. said, uh, there's a whole channel called National Geographic. <laughs> well, that, that really is boring. <laughs> Give me a break. That will show you all this At scenery. At least I had an interesting story here and about And put a someone. score to it. So. <laughs> no, I'll pass on the National Geographic. <laughs> 
or the nature specials on PBS. I always drop off to sleep. When Correct. I'm out. Well, I think I got the exact same feel on this From film. From No Man Land. Okay. Uh, granted, right. I did not get a deep voice male uh, narrating the film throughout. Yeah, so a, that's for sure. <clears throat> I also think that. Um, this is really hard to put in words. It's hard to explain, but I think it's unusual that this film depicts people who are dealing with economic hardship and turmoil in their lives to a certain extent. Uh, she certainly is, um, or at least their lives have been turned upside down in some way. They've lost their jobs, they've lost children, they've lost their you know spouse, whatever. But you do not ever really feel any sadness as you watch this film, um, I mean, I wasn't, dep- I didn't find it depressing or sad. At times, it was somewhat uplifting. Um, you don't linger on what could be a very lonely, desperate life for Fern. Well, even. I, I uh, think that's why I said I think she was happy <clears throat> in sort of her misery there, you know? Yeah. And, she enjoyed just being out well, and free. It, and, yeah, that's it. It's like she's finding this freedom and she's always she's searching for kind of what she wants in life and I think she actually finds it. In, and not being, and she, I and, think the other thing is not being bound to a job. I yeah. think she liked that, you know. She goes to do her Amazon seasonal work but she isn't, you know, it's not nine to five every day for years and years. Yeah. But know? I think she grows into that, this liking the nomad line, mm-hmm. uh, life because at first she wasn't willing to break with her home and you know, even all her furniture and thing, the things she had in storage, she wasn't going to get rid of them. But by the end she she does. Um, and she doesn't mind leaving the community that, you know, she, she grows a lot. But you you know, you think you're going to feel so sad for these this these individuals and um and you don't. It's it's just not a depressing, sad kind of story. I mean, it's not a real happy story either. But no, it's it, just it's just a story of life. That's I, what it is. It's a story of life with the and what these could have done with her getting discover. an inheritance or something and getting the fancy <laughs> RV they were all sitting in. In the yeah, but that's uh, it. That not not all of them had that. That absolutely was the truth. Or something and, instead uh, of her thirty-year-old uh, van that was breaking. The down. other thing is, I think you keep expecting there to be some calamity too like she's going to be robbed and raped and you know there's going to be this terrorist motorcycle gang pull in or something and that never happens either no. it, it just that isn't what the life uh, is like now i will say there has been criticism of this movie though that it doesn't that really it doesn't paint an accurate picture of individuals who are homeless and you know although this isn't like urban homelessness yes, this... these individuals have pretty much chosen this life um, but there are there have been criticism that this paints a too rosy a picture of this life. And well, that I don't uh, know. I wasn't all um, that rosy about <laughs> and laying that, and, in my van for. <laughs> and that uh, not only that, but that this life of working temp jobs and particularly Amazon. Some people are just furious that they showed Amazon in a fairly good light. I mean, as a happy place to work and everybody's nice and the work isn't too bad and, you know. Well, if you're only working two months out of the year, <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Those temp jobs, I think, 
That's yeah. what she liked, the ability to... Right. If she really didn't like the job, she could quit and leave and go find another and job. And actually, that, that's the whole point of this. There is, And if you read that book, there is a whole group of people in this country now that actually travel around in vans and work in Amazon fulfillment centers. I mean, they go from one to another and get temporary jobs. And in fact, a couple of years ago, I met a young couple. They, they weren't old retired folks. They were a young couple who had settled here and I, I met them at a, a UT event and um, uh, they had just gotten jobs, full-time jobs at the university and settled in uh, to a home because they were expecting a baby but they had spent the last several years doing this nomad life and they loved it and they but they went from you know gig job to gig I mean it, it was just that sort of thing so they were not unhappy about it, but there are some people who feel like this movie glorifies Amazon and that type of work a little bit too much. Um, and also, just to speak about Frances McDormand and Chloe Zhao, I do consider Frances McDormand to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, actress of my lifetime. Uh, I, I just think she is a wonderful actress. Um, and... This really is a perfect role for her because she's so real and honest in it. Honestly, um, I think she could have been, this could have been a document, documentary and she could have been on the road with all of these people. She made it seem like that's exactly the life she was living. Um, and sometimes I think maybe she didn't win the Golden Globe because it looked too easy. It was just, you well, know, that's what... People didn't think she was even acting, but... She really is truly magnificent as Fern. Uh, I and some people are calling it the best she's ever been in a movie, well, which is a lot to say. They clearly, haven't seen Fargo. Then. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, she that that is a lot to say because she's got some pretty good work under her belt. Um, and at the same time, I think you have to give major kudos to the director Chloe Zhao, even if she is now turning to Marvel comics or whatever. Um, she really, ha I think, she has put together. You know, boring or not boring, a poetic movie um, that uses scenery and characters and music to blend into a picture of a type of life in the U U.S. that does exist out there, and many people may not realize this. And I, I think this is what makes me think that <clears throat> you can argue with this, and I'm sure you will, that this movie has the possibility it could live on as a classic, similar to Grapes of Wrath, it won't be Grapes of Wrath, of course, I, I don't think, but, um, but it shows a time, a culture, a challenging lifestyle dictated by economic hardship, but also hope uh, as people move from place to place. So I could see it, you know, it's a, it's a slice of Americana that could live on in this film well, and I, become classic. I guess I could see that point of view. I, I'm thinking the other point of view, though. I don't <laughs> think it will go down as a classic i think it might be forgetful even if it does end up yeah. winning the best picture just because one i you know i think you saw it in this golden globes in the screen actors guild nomination this is just not a year for movies necessarily <laughs> uh you know yeah. uh, everything that really was uh really supposed to be hyped not just box office one mm -hmm. a lot of the small pictures also you yeah. know got pulled because they just didn't want to mess with it and didn't want to didn't know how anything was going to play out. So I'm a little scared that this is, you know, the best of a mediocre, a small bunch. Yeah. And, you know, we'll just never forget. And then, yeah. you know, next year, the year after, when all these movies are end up going to come out, 
they're going to overshadow this. So yeah. that, I think... Um, that could happen. Uh, but, I mean, also, it could just end up being, like you said, a slice of America at this point in time. I think it probably hits at a perfect uh, sort of point in time, and maybe it does go down. But uh, I sort of felt the other way that we might end up nobody remembering this film, especially because I don't know how many people are, you gonna know, watch it. really going to watch <laughs> yeah. it. It's, you First know, all, you it's not even, or go to the movie I'm not, it's not even streamed on a, Hulu is big, but it's yeah. not Netflix. It's not, you know, Disney Plus. I don't understand why they don't just put this on Disney Plus, because at least it would get it out there more. Uh, but it, or it's not even Amazon Prime. Right. So it just doesn't, I don't know how many people are like, oh, yeah. Hulu. We're going to Hulu for a movie. There might be a pretty small audience for this film. Very narrow, I think. I do want to say also that I think Zhao deserves all the awards and that she'll rake them in. And maybe it's because, you know, there were other movies that were certainly good, but not great. Yeah. This wasn't a great year. Um, uh, and she'll have competition from directors like uh, Fincher and yes. Sorkin. Um, and even Emerald Fennel with, uh, you know, Prom yes. Promising uh, Young Woman. But I think uh, Zhao deserves the award for what she has I did think here. her direction was great. And yeah. uh, that uh, movie had a great feel to it. Uh, Frances McDermott's performance was wonderful. But uh, I, I equate it to this probably wasn't a real fun movie to shoot for her, I'm guessing. I don't know. I think she probably met a lot of interesting people. But uh, it. I equate it more to where she's not going to win uh, uh, Oscar probably. But I, I look at it as like a old-school basketball. This is a Jerome Kersey performance, a Buck Williams performance. You need that grit and that hard worker because she yeah. probably worked her ass off yeah. in this movie. And you can't have that, but you need that to help Clyde Drexler, yeah. you know, score his 30 points. So yeah. it's not a, you know, Meryl Streep, uh, you know, role of greatness like that but uh I, her performance was just great i put it as a, a jerome kersey performance <laughs> where if you understand the game and understand what's going on you're really impressed by what she does in this but she makes it look easy and yes. that's what's so amazing because she's really really good but she it, it's not you don't sit back and think that wow she had to really work hard she, yes it doesn't you know it, it it, it's she's just very natural and just an excellent as fern yeah all right so let's get to our rating uh i'm guessing yours is high and it's pretty high probably yours is probably low. lower yeah all right where well, are we going i was leaning eight but i i'm gonna say seven eight i i you know probably for this year it should be the 10 movie but um i don't know if anybody gets a 10 I know it, it'll have a narrow audience and it's not everyone's cup of tea for sure it is definitely slow paced uh, you have to really be interested in in Fern herself and how this character takes on her life. And um, and I think you have to be able to, you know, deal with the fact that Amazon comes out of this looking pretty good when most people think they shouldn't. Uh, but technically, I think the movie is... Meanwhile, those people are ordering things from Amazon. So. <laughs> yes, I know. So do I. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to criticize Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, technically, I think the movie probably deserves a 10, but uh, particularly if you compare it to other movies this year. But there have been other technically good movies, too. Yeah. But I'd give a 7, 8. Um, I certainly recommend it, but I have a feeling a lot of people will just drop out after about the first 30, 40 minutes if well, you make it that far. I'm going middle of the road. <laughs> While I appreciate the filmmaking done, the performance is done, uh, I'm a 5 on this, yeah. just because I, I just didn't feel the movie... 
had any point or story. We're basically just watching a woman live. It's a picture of Americana. <laughs> I don't even know if it's that. So I'm a five. Uh, be sure to get with us on our next movie review. We're going to lighten things up uh, a little bit with Coming to America too. So uh, that should be exciting and fun or disappointing one way or the other. Uh, Probably won't be slow-paced and dull. No, but it might make me call back to a more nostalgic era when Eddie Murphy was young and funny. Yeah. Or City Hall as well. Uh, but coming to America, too. Be sure to follow us on GreenlightNetwork.org, Greenlight Network on Facebook and YouTube. You can find me, GLNChamp5, on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show, and we're out.